It was a political war of words between Philadelphia's DA and the U.S. Attorney over criminal justice reform. Let's get the inside story. Good morning, I'm Monica Melpass and welcome to Inside Story. Let's meet our insiders this week and they are George Burrell, attorney. Good morning, welcome morning, to Monica. you, sir. Glad to have you. Allison Young, GOP strategist. Always good to have you back, Allison. Thanks, Monica. Donna Gentile O'Donnell, nonprofit executive and author. Welcome to you, good morning, Donna. Monica. And Jeff Jubilee, communications executive. Good welcome good to morning. you as well. Uh, a war of words, if you will, is what we're calling it, but it really was a back and forth in a serious way, arguing about how best to reduce prison population, but also continue protecting the electorate and citizens. And so, uh, Mr. McSwain, the U.S. Attorney, had some very harsh, critical things to say about the first year in office of Philadelphia's new DA, Larry Krasner, saying that he, in fact, is protecting the perpetrators and not the victims. And an old case was brought up where, in fact, there had been some issues about whether there had been too genteel of a treatment of a gunman who got leniency, according to McSwain, from the DA and to the detriment of the victim. What's your take on it? Is it really just a game of politics at this point, or do you agree with uh, the U.S. Attorney or the DA. You know, this is like one of those situations that depends upon whether you're conservative, whether you're moderate, or whether you're liberal. You have a different perspective on these things. I think that uh, I think that Krasner was elected to be a reform uh, district attorney. I think he's attempting to be that. Will he make mistakes in the course of doing that? I think he will. I, I've always I've said on this program. I think he needs to reach out to be more inclusive of people. But this is just an issue of whether you agree with a three-and-a-half to ten-year sentence versus whether you should have gotten a longer sentence in that instance. The question of, of reform is a bigger question and one that I think Krasner is on the right side of. And he is a D versus McSwain is an R, and there is that rub. But also uh, there has been some evidence that what uh, Mr. Krasner is doing, the district attorney, might be working. Uh, according to um, several studies, University of Pennsylvania did a study saying that, in fact, there is less recidivism. There is no uh, violence happening while people are not given a bail for a crime that uh, is a really nonviolent crime. They do come back for their court hearings, that there seems to be less of an issue in the prisons aren't as full. So I think the nonviolent crimes are a place where maybe we can all find some common ground. And, you know, for the nonviolent crimes, you know, where people are sitting in jail because they can't make $250 cash bail, I think that's a reform where we all generally agree is needed. But I think for things like this, for violent crimes like shootings, Bill McSwain is a game changer. And I think he's adding some accountability from the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I don't, I don't think it's whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I think it's all about accountability. And the U.S. Attorney is saying there has to be law and order in this country and people actually have to follow the laws. And the district attorney's job is to make sure that people are getting appropriate sentences. Well, let's be, oh, sorry, let's be real clear on this that they agreed this was too lenient a sentence on this particular case of Javon Patterson. Krasner has tried and still trying to go back and ask the judge, uh, Judge Means, to change the sentence. Judge Means has no reason, he can't do that. Um, and McSwain had to step in. He's, uh, the district attorney's office is blaming an ADA, an assistant district attorney, for. No, the buck stops here. Yeah. Time and time again, unfortunately, there has been, and George is right, there needs to be, we don't hear a lot about victims. We hear a lot about, you know, uh, restoring folks, and we should, and, and recidivism, and getting folks to get jobs, and we absolutely all agree on that, Republican and Democrat. But you've got to remember, there are victims here, and they need to be reached out to perhaps as much as anybody. The U.S. attorney did point out that he feels the murder rate has gone up, has. Uh, violent right. crimes, but that's a four-year trend. That's not right. a one-year trend, and uh, the DA's been in office one year, as you know. Yes, and, and I, I think a couple of things. I mean, I think the U.S. attorney was correct in assessing that this was inappropriate and took 
appropriate action. So, uh, so to to uh, Attorney McSwain's credit, he stepped in where others might have feared to tread, and I think that's important. Mm -hmm. I would also say, though, that with respect to Larry Krasner, I mean, he is to George's point coming in as a reform uh, of reform district attorney and he is doing some important things that are that are that are moving the needle so for example on cash bail as 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 we discussed i mean that is a place where i think we have agreement what's interesting about the cash bail situation is more people are showing up for their hearings despite not being required to pay a cash bail that they can't afford so i think he's on the right track i think he made some early missteps when he got rid of a whole bunch of people that he probably should have been more thoughtful about, and I think some of the missteps that have followed, including this, might not have occurred. And Governor Wolf is getting in on this yes. because he believes that, in fact, we had, in effect, been running a debtor's prison for people mm -hmm. who couldn't afford the low-level amount of bail, even if they were, you know, minimum wage-type workers. So he's also pushing a clean slate law mm -hmm. that would give people a second chance. Uh, again, uh, could be a bipartisan effort, but at this moment, it, there could be a rub there, and Jeff. President Trump and other Republicans. This is a bipartisan issue. So, yes, he does, President does give him credit on this, but but Republicans do as well in the House, the State House, the State Senate, uh, and the country can come together on, on things that they can agree on. Well, it's I a reform issue on the, on the criminal part of it. There is not yet a reform issue. These folks who go into prison, and you talk about having a second chance, come out, they can't get public housing, they can't get food stamps, they can't get Medicaid. They, have, they owe a lot of money but when they get out of prison, and there's nothing that addresses that. So just improving the criminal justice system, if you don't change their lives on the other end, right. they're just going to live poor lives. They may live better lives, but they're still going to live poor lives. And that could lead to more crime because you get desperate right. at some point. And I do remember when President Obama, he was the first sitting United States president to go to a federal penitentiary. This was in his last year of office and was driving home the point of the need for uh, prison reform. And he's being joined by people like the Koch brothers. So That's to right. Allison's point, point um, we have, we, there is a lot of bipartisanship to revisit some of the really terrible things that have evolved over time. And in fact, we have the lowest jail population in Philadelphia that we've had in yeah. two decades, but the highest appearances in court for cases where they didn't have bail. So could be a, a long-term goal. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about a bipartisan push to increase the minimum wage. We've been talking about this for a while, but there is now something on the books and moving along. Uh, obviously, workers are thrilled. Uh, there hasn't been a raise in about 10 years, but employers are saying not so fast, and that $12 that the governor is pushing is too much money, according to uh, opponents. What's the right number? States all around us are raising theirs, so we're on the low end of the scale when you compare New York, Maryland, lots of them. New Jersey has one. Uh, what do you think is the right answer? Well, I think Governor Wolf was originally pushing $15, yes. and the proposal of 12 from Jake Corman, I think, um, is a smart one. The devil is in the details. The exciting thing about this is it's a place where, again, people are actually trying to come together. Jake Corman is a strong and good leader. He's a personal friend of mine. Governor Wolf is pragmatic as well, and so for people from different parties to actually be finding the common ground on this. Also, ahead of the budget season, I think is really smart for people to be kind of brokering some deals so we have some relationships on the table when it comes time for the budget. We have to be clear that there are industries like the restaurant industry, um, perhaps, where that cannot support a $12 minimum wage. I do think it's important for, for the bipartisan effort here, but I think let's not ignore the politics of this. This is driven by a political environment where Republicans, to their credit, they are moving. They've got to find some central issue. They, they did not expect to find themselves in a place where they could lose control 
of the state Senate and the state House in the next election. So they've got to, and, and they've become a more conservative group because of the last election cycle. So they've got to find some common ground, and they've got the Trump effect that they've got to deal with, which everybody knows is a drag on them. So I think they've got to find some common ground. I'm glad they're doing it. But I think there's a political motivation for doing it. Why, why this may actually truly happen, though, is Allison was talking about Jay Corman in the Senate, is the House, which is a more conservative body in general than uh, in, in, in the Republican control than the state Senate. And their leadership has indicated a willingness to do something. Um, something will happen. What I'd like to see is something that just, instead of having to have a fight every year, certainly not every 10 years, something that puts into motion. Uh, incremental increases that go by cost of living and other measures like that. So we're not having a debate and a fight about it. All right, let's talk about the race for Philadelphia City Council and 35 candidates, including all 10 of the incumbents, have challengers and many more that are at large. It's going to be an interesting uh, spring uh, with a 7-1 advantage, obviously, Democrats over uh, Republicans in Philadelphia. That always does frame at least how the elections may go. But uh, it's going to be very interesting. And also several other races, mayor, city commissioner, sheriff, judge, all of uh, up for grabs with uh, the mayor running for re-election. Let's get your take on this, Donna. So um, I, I just find it interesting to watch the emergence of a, of a very big slate of candidates. I don't think we know who all the candidates will be. We, we will know on March 13th when everyone has to file their petitions. So they're in the middle of the petition drive. And then following the petition drive, two important things happen. People draw by lot where they will be on the ballot which is a big determinant in whether or not they decide to stay in the race. And second, there's petition challenges. So people that turn in what are affectionately referred to as kitchen table petitions, <laughs> they're going to be looking at some serious challenges. So, so I think all of the candidates that are getting in this would be well advised to be thoughtful about the caliber of the petitions that they're turning in. If they are serious about being on the ballot, they need to be serious about their petitions and they need to be prepared to defend them in petition court because that yeah. will happen. Yeah. Even City Council President Daryl Clark All has an opponent, uh, Omar Woodard, and let's get your take on how that race might go. Well, I, I think you, you'd have to be, the, the Council President would be the betting odds favorite to win that win that election, and I think, but I think it has the potential to be closer than people think it's going to be. That's a changing district. I think Omar is a great candidate uh, and will be a strong candidate. And he and does I, have and a network of backers. And he has a network of backers, but I think more importantly, he is like many people assuming that this will be the council president's last term and I think it's positioning himself to be the heir apparent to that seat. There are some really exciting things about this group of people that are running. I think the number one thing that sticks out to me is that a lot of them have very successful careers and are established in this community mm -hmm. and aren't in this lifelong pipeline of public service. They're saying I'm going to step out of what I'm doing because I think I bring something different to the table and they're thoughtful and good candidates. Not all of them but by and large I think that's really exciting that we actually have competitive races. Now as a Republican do I I wish that more of them were Democrat-Republican competitive, sure, but I think some of the Democratic challengers, particularly some exciting women like Judy Moore and Jamie Gautier, whose name I never pronounced correctly, um, are progressive young women who bring something new to the table and are really kind of exciting for some of the district council seats. I have to end with a little bit of levity. Or it's only in Philadelphia, three of the candidates uh, that are uh, proposing to run or getting petitions recently came from their former home prison. Um, there were three judges who um, traffic court and so forth, who um, paid their, their dues and they are absolutely eligible to run, but it is interesting in Philadelphia. Well, there's actually to a question do. about whether they're eligible okay. to run. Okay, I'm not so the we'll lawyer. See. But, well, but I'm not either, a, but I just you know, we'll see. And the great thing about city council at large race, when I won the city council at large race, there were 48 people in the, in the, on the ballot. 
is that you don't know who you're running against until the day after the election. You can't target <laughs> That's people. Really? You that can't true? target people That's in the so city true. council at large race. Huh. For example, Ed, I beat Ed Schwartz. I, Ed Schwartz was on my ballot. Meantime, there is a popular councilwoman, Maria Quinones Sanchez, uh, and Democrats of her own party uh, say that they may not back her. So uh, there's an interesting push here about why certain people get the backing. That certainly is a pipeline for resources and getting out the vote on Election Day itself. But it's the fourth time she's run and the fourth time they're not backing her. Bob Brady, I'm sorry. Mom. That's right, please. Bob Brady and his cronies always run something against her. This is about her not playing into their patronage <laughs> game and them trying to to gain control of that seat. It's about. It's not about what's good for the city. It's not about what she's done or hasn't done. It's about whether or not they're going to be part of her, whether or not she's going to be part of their game, and she's not, so they're always going to back her challenger. And her opponents would say it's because she doesn't get along with them and had all those years to make <laughs> mm -hmm. peace in a different way, but what's them, your take? That, yeah. Them are ward leaders. <laughs> right, as Alice said, it, they are, we're not talking about the constituents. Um, this is, uh, Representative Cruz has run against her before. They supported in 2015 someone who has admittedly and openly made made homophobic, racist, and sexist remarks on Facebook. It's sad, um, regardless of whether you think uh, Keona Sanchez is doing a good job or not. Well, but the other thing that's worth noting is that um, when the mayor's uh, proposal for the soda tax went, on the, went before city council, she was the only Democrat that voted. There were four votes against, three Republicans, and one Democrat. And that's his signature proposal. So mm -hmm. I think that has to be figured into the equation. You have to give her credit I'm, for the I'm strength a, of continuing to battle out. I'm a huge Maria fan, but this is a contact sport. <laughs> you know? and, and, you're, and the other people are entitled to Absolutely. support the candidate that they want. And Councilman Alan Dom is pushing for term limits, which would be a new concept, saying 12 years, three terms is enough. Many folks on council have 25 years. They don't <laughs> want to hear about term limits. That, that's a non-starter for them. So is that ever going to get out of the gate? Uh, I don't think it's going to pass here. And I'm not a, I'm, I, I'm indifferent to, to term limits. I mean, the places where it's at, New York and other places, they haven't found transformative ways to address the issues of poor people and the challenges in communities. Do, they do good top-line stuff, but we do good top-line stuff here in Philadelphia, too. The economy's doing pretty well. We're attracting jobs and businesses. I think it's, it, we need more community engagement who hold these folks accountable. One of the things, I'm not a big fan of them, but the Tea Party is effective because they impose discipline upon the people that they support. And, but and it, it is a way to get new blood if you have term limits, it and is. it is a way to stop people from getting so entrenched that yeah. really it just becomes a, you know, one single unit of a person. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this particular election, because if there was ever a moment when there is momentum to drive new people into public office, it is this moment. So if we see people being pushed out of seats that they've held for a very long time, I think that mitigates against term limits. I mean, I'm also somewhat ambivalent. On the one hand, I do want new people in, people that have accomplishments. When people come to me and say, young people say, I want to get into politics, what should I do? And I say, go learn something. <laughs> Become an expert in something. Don't get a degree in political science. Become an engineer. Right. Become a mathematician. Or do Become, both. Do, yeah. Right. And bring that expertise with you into to your political life because that's got value. All right, we're going to take a break. Inside Story continues right after this.
Welcome back to Inside Story. New Jersey and Delaware are among the 16 states that are suing President Trump over his border wall emergency declaration, saying it is unconstitutional. Let's talk a little bit about why they're doing it, what they think they can accomplish. Do they think they can stop him? Uh, at least New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is saying, quote, Trump's move is constitutionally dubious. Do you agree? Well, I think Phil Murphy's statement is constitutionally dubious because, like it or not, the president has the authority to do this. Now, I understand that the history here on um, emergency declarations is typically in our lifetimes has been around terrorism or things uh, you know similar to that. So I get why some of the Democrats don't like this, but the president can do it. And I think the lawsuit by the attorneys general is are, is really kind of silly because, like it or not, legal standing is a real thing. And I think states like New Jersey that don't even have a border don't even have standing. This is more about political grandstanding. In fact, in my of the opinion. 16, there are only a couple of states, maybe but, two, California and New Mexico, mm -hmm. that actually are border states well, in this case. The, but there's also the issue of the reappropriation internally of funds and I think that's the interest in the, of the state of New Jersey. New Jersey's taken a beating under Donald Trump. Um, I mean there are a whole bunch. First you've got Chris Christie who left things in, in pretty bad shape and then you've got a president who really doesn't care too much for a state that didn't elect him. So the combination of those two things mitigate negatively for, for New Jersey. Um, and with respect to Delaware I think they're similarly situated. I know I do know that Josh Shapiro was quoted as saying that he was going to be looking for any impact on Pennsylvania and so far hasn't been able to determine any. So there is some deliberative activity on the part of attorneys general. Yeah. And I, I don't claim to be a constitutional scholar, but there is a division among constitutional scholars about whether the president has the right to do this or not. But the more important part of it, I mean, this is an appropriate exercise of discretion by the guy who is the leader of the free world. And there is no one, even most of the Republicans that I talk to quietly, don't believe that this rises to the level of declaring a national emergency. And if it did, you would think that he would be spending a lot of time every day. If this were a military emergency, we would be doing something every day to address it. We're not doing anything to address it. This is simply the, unfortunately, this is simply the president not doing substance, but checking off a campaign promise. And that's kind of the way he governs, is checking off campaign promises. All right, let's talk meantime about New Jersey is close to legalizing marijuana. Uh, certainly top Democrats have reached a deal on how to regulate it. And also, the final bill could clear marijuana convictions from criminal records. So expunging some records, those are two of the things after months of negotiations. And certainly, how to tax the sale of marijuana to have the state make some money, as many other states have done. And they've decided to do... A a different kind of tax, not a sales tax. That was the rub. Do you believe it's going to happen? And by the way, several of the candidates for president, including Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, are proponents of um, legalizing uh, marijuana, not just the medical, but recreational marijuana. Absolutely. It's going to happen. And Pennsylvania, hopefully before the next century, will follow suit. We're always behind. Delaware is doing it. New Jersey is going to be doing it. You see, they're taxing it by ounce, uh, which is a, a nice compromise. So it's not regressive in terms of the sales tax. Um, when it comes down to it, it's about revenue. Yeah. So we can talk about the efficacy of, of marijuana and whether it helps or it hurts. And we could argue all day. And I'm no expert. But there's going to be a lot of tax dollars and it'll be safer because it'll be regulated. And billions, not just millions. Mm -hmm. We're talking a big chunk yeah. of change. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of dough. I mean, in Colorado, where they legalized it a while ago, people were actually getting rebates on taxes that they had already paid because the revenues from marijuana were so so very substantial. The one, one thing I would point on on the medical marijuana side, the thing that's very unfortunate is that for years, marijuana has languished as a Schedule One drug, and that has, has really pr prohibited... Uh, research, good quality, uh, uh, 
experimental design research from being done that would answer a lot of the questions that people are raising about the, the efficacy of marijuana. So a lot of it is anecdotal. But I think that, that as that moves off the Schedule One list, I think that's going to change. And that's going to be good for a lot of people that this could help. Who need it. And, and I think the, the question for me is I, I think it's going to pass, and I think it needs to pass. Uh, but the question is what are they going to do with the revenue? We get these new revenue streams, and we know we need infrastructure. We know we need investments in poverty. But what tends to happen when we get new revenue streams, and and we kind of balance it out by being unwilling to do the tax increases we know that are necessary to increase the revenue to do the things that we need to do. We're in a country that doesn't do infrastructure until a bridge falls, and we all know and we all know it needs to be done. But we're unwilling to make the tough choices. You would like to, to see it. Ahead I would like of time. to see it be additional Earmarked. revenue and not replacing uh, other revenue or but a substitute for potential of, other On top revenue. of whether or not every state is gonna, going to legalize it, we have to, the, what's up to policymakers to figure out the financial system around it too, mm -hmm. because still the biggest barrier to legalizing marijuana, and I think this is where Senator Booker and some of the uh, presidential hopefuls are talking, is what is the federal banking system that sure. is going to allow the transfer of funds that, you know, on, from what is now an illegal drug? We have to fix the banking system to actually make this industry grow. So that is all dotted, eyes dotted, T's right. crossed, yes. legal, but also has a vehicle for where the money goes. Right. All right, thanks to our insiders. We're going to have inside stories coming your way right after we take a break. We'll be right back. Time for inside stories of the week, and let's start with Jeff. You know, we talked a lot about city council and all the candidates running and engagement and young people coming up. One group of voters have to sit on the sidelines in May. Those are independents because in Pennsylvania we have what is called closed primaries. Only Republicans can vote in the Republican primary and only Democrats can vote in the Democratic primary. There's a whole swath of voters. Definitely young millennials are choosing to register independent. Their vote, voting rights are being hurt by the ability, by the disability of them not being able to exercise that franchise. Pennsylvania had proposed legislation sponsored by uh, pro tem uh, Senator Joe Scarnati. Haven't heard anything since the fall. I hope my talk and others will bring this up. It's bipartisan support. Everyone should get a right to vote in the primary in Pennsylvania. All right, George. Yeah, Ryan Borda, head of Labor's District Council, and uh, 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 oh my God, uh, State Representative Jordan Harris, who's the Democratic whip in Harrisburg, uh, it, it had two receptions this week one out in Montgomery County, one in the city. Uh, uh, Representative Dermody was at one, but they had a very diverse group of people together talking about not only how do we address the issues that confront Philadelphia, but how do we address the issues that confront the southeastern region as a group of people across diverse lines. Uh, Representative Davidson, who heads the southeast delegation, was there. So it is really an exciting opportunity for them to provide leadership in Harrisburg for the region. Wonderful. Allison. Monica, there was a significant article in the Inquirer last week about councilmanic prerogative and uh, how it's become an election issue. And over the last 40 years, the six Philadelphia councilmen, council members that have been convicted of wrongdoing have all been related to abuse of, uh, land, of land use deals. And there are credible uh, sources and rumors floating around City Hall that uh, more indictments are coming in the next couple of weeks in uh, City Council. Mm, Donna. 
So next week, Mayor Kenny and his team will be presenting their budget. And the good news is that there is going to be a very significant infusion of cash into the rainy day fund. Now, that's important for a couple of reasons. The bond raters uh, will look at that, and it will give them more confidence. And that will lower the, bar the borrowing costs for the city on their short-term borrowing. More robust, good f fiscal health for the city. All right, and welcome to Bryce Harper coming yeah, to Philadelphia yes. as a highly paid Philly, 330 mil. Bryce was right. There you go. Oh, Jeff, I like it. Yeah. All right, that's it for Inside Story. Thanks to all our insiders. Thanks so much to you for watching. Hope you have a great week ahead. We'll see you right back here next Sunday morning. I like that. That was a good one. <laughs>